Hello and welcome to Building Sustainability Podcast. I'm your host, Jeffrey Hart, aka Jeffrey the Natural Builder. Building Sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers, exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 51. It is currently the middle of June in 2021. Firstly, thank you for all the fantastic feedback that I got from the last episode uh, with Amy and Brian from Cut the Craft uh, and the associated episode that I did for their podcast. It's really fantastic to hear your lovely words. Uh, Very, very much appreciated. So thank you for those. Um, So what's new here? Uh, The tiny house uh, build is underway. Uh, As of right now, I've got the floor built uh, and I framed up one of the walls. Looking forward to cracking on with the second large wall. Um, I'm finding it's a real joy to be working at a pace where I can do things really properly and I'm making all the decisions based on doing the right thing uh, for the building, for the quality and not having the pressures of of time constraints. So really, I'm finding myself in in a hugely privileged position and I'm making sure to to really enjoy that because I realized this is almost certainly the only house I'm ever going to build for myself so I better enjoy it because yeah I'm I'm definitely prone to throwing on some self-imposed deadlines and then being pretty stressed so trying very hard not to do that one week in so far so good some podcast news for you uh massive thanks to Talene and Philippa uh, for their next instalment of the bite size series uh, this time they're focusing on how they upskilled themselves in matters of sustainability and then use that to further their careers and get the jobs they wanted and i wanted to say a huge congratulations to philippa uh, she has been nominated for the architects journal sustainability champion 2021 um, it's so so well deserved she's one of four nominees um, so yeah all the best for that philippa uh, what else to say oh yes we've had three new patreon supporters so thank you so much to chuck treller who incidentally started the rise up and carve spoon carving uh, sessions uh, which was allowing green woodworkers to connect during the covid times uh, definitely check it out it's uh, it's always interesting to be carving a spoon with someone sat somewhere around the world. We've also had Sarah Weeks and Emily Alexander join the Patreon, uh, both of which will be getting themselves a hand-carved wooden eating spoon that is carved by me from a birch tree that's just beside the caravan I'm living in uh, and the tiny home build site. Speaking of those spoons, I have been working my way through the backlog, so some of them actually got posted out this week. I am slowly catching up. Uh, so do hang in there if you have subscribed to the, the spoon option on the Patreon site. Uh, that is patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. And while on the on the subject, I really wanted to say a massive thank you. I really can't thank you enough for the incredible Patreon supporters. Uh, you genuinely make this podcast possible uh, and allow me to uh, buy food and other such luxuries. Um, okay. So this episode, this episode is with Alex Geldenhays from New Dawn Traders. 
Uh, New Dawn traders are shipping foods from small-scale producers by sailing ship. And we talk all about the many benefits of this. And this is one of those episodes where I've gone in thinking that we're just really going to be talking about the mechanics of why sailing is better. But actually, there's a whole so many more levels uh, of how working in this way can can really improve the world. Um, I think Alex is absolutely nailing it with uh, this organization. Uh, And this chat started off uh, before we hit record. uh, This chat started with uh, me asking how to pronounce Alex's surname. Um, And I realized that I I used to work with a chap uh, with the same surname. So I ventured whether they would be uh, related. And of course, it was her brother. And then further than that, we actually had met on one of the builds I did with her brother, Billy. Um, I think that was the bar we built for, for Copperberg, the urban forest. I remember at the time being really inspired by what she was doing. Uh, and then apparently I forgot all about it uh, and then was inspired all over again when I, I found it online and when the the people in Bristol were talking about it. Um, so, yeah, it was quite a surprise to realise that uh, we'd actually already met and gone through that once. OK, I think that's about enough. From me, it's worth knowing that Alex was in her office. Uh, there is the occasional bit of office background noise. Uh, I think it's mostly edited out, but you might catch a little glimpse. I'm back at the end. Enjoy the episode. work with sailing vessels that carry cargo from um, all over, mainly from the Caribbean across the Atlantic back to England, but also from Portugal um, and France, and we deliver around the Netherlands and other places as well. Um, I guess I started out being a cook on one of those ships for eight months, which is um, yeah where I got sucked in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now I work mainly as a broker, so I organize the cargo and I find producers and I find buyers and what I've got really excited about in the last couple of years is building what I call voyage co-ops. So it's um, setting, bringing together the whole supply chain from the farmer to the buyer, working with saving vessels, um, but doing it in a very, in a scale that really supports um small businesses. So working with farmers that wouldn't normally export, working with buyers who wouldn't normally import, um, working direct with customers, um, avoiding the sort of wholesale supply chains because we don't yet have the sale, the logistics don't yet fit. Yeah, in short, I guess. (laughs) I'm a broker for sale cargo. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) All right, great. Well, let's, I mean, let's, let's start sort of at the beginning with that, I guess, then. So yeah. how, well, how did you end up uh, being a, a, sh- a chef? Was it a chef on a, a, a sailboat? Yes. How did that um, come about? Yeah, chef's a proper title. The ship's oh. cook. <laughs> ship's cook, if, if that's what you're more glamorous. comfortable with. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, actually, even before then, I knew I wanted to do something like this. So working with sailing ships to move goods over the oceans. And because I knew that, I found out about the Fair Transport Company, which is a Dutch company 
that runs a ship called the Tres Hombres, which has really been a pioneering vessel within this sort of new return to Sao Paulo. And um, at the time, they were desperate for cooks because <laughs> it's the hardest job on the ship and they weren't as popular as they are now. There weren't very many people up for the job. So they were very happy when I volunteered myself. And, um, yeah, I cooked, uh, spent eight months on board. Um, and, yeah, it's a real sort of back-to-basics scenario. There's no fridges or reliable electrics. Yes, yeah, so I was the cook on the Tresombres for eight months, and we sailed from Holland to the Caribbean and back again. Um, and I loved it. It was really hard work, but I really appreciated the experience. Yeah, it's something other. Yeah, it's, so, it's just so extreme uh, and so wild and also so mundane all at the same time. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but you really feel like you escape civilization when you're at sea. And that yeah. gives an amazing sense of perspective. And also because you sort of track between sky and water, it's also such an, an amazing, gives such an appreciation for everything we have on land, you know. Um, yeah, so it's a really sort of extreme environment and you have to really be become strong within yourself. And as a team on the ship, the sort of human dynamics are so important. Um, yeah. it's, it's a great kind of metaphor for like, our little planet, you know, it's a whole life support system traveling through space <laughs> and you have to make everything has to work well together to survive. Uh, yeah, it's, 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 um, I can see why some people find it absolutely frightening, the idea of going yes. to sea. <laughs> but I also see why people love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what was it that, that drew you to it, do you think? I guess what drew me to sailing was just a deep childhood desire sailed? for yeah. it. No, no, I grew up really far away from the sea, but I always knew I wanted to live by the sea and wanted to go sailing. I don't think there's any real reason for it. <laughs> I was just <laughs> drawn to it. <laughs> and actually it's a completely mental thing to do, to be surrounded by water in the middle of nowhere with storms chasing you around. Yeah, it's crazy, really. But I think it's something very deeply primal in wanting to go sailing. I'm sure most yeah. people can tap into that feeling. <laughs> I, yeah. I definitely can. It, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, I've been thinking a lot. Well, knowing that I was going to be talking to you, I've been sort of imagining myself on the, on the sea. Uh, yeah, something, something really, yeah. Uh, exciting about it yeah and the Trezombres is very special it's a boat that everyone falls in love with um yeah it's got square sails two masts um it's black and wood wooden and um and everything's pretty much human powered it doesn't have an engine so the sailing really just relies on the sailors and the wind and actually, the cook's very important. <laughs> because, <laughs> of course. Yeah, we, the cook gives the fuel to the sailors who sail the ship, who make, keep it all together. <laughs> <laughs> and also keeps the mood up. Um, yeah, food becomes very important at sea for a sense of um, something to look forward to in the day in bad weather. Yeah, yeah, it's really, it's a really 
you realize how little you need to be happy um, and actually how little you need to be comfortable if you with yeah. people. Um, yeah, so it's a good it's a good reflection on how how much baggage we carry around on that and you know, metaphorically yeah. and physically. Yeah, life it seems so easy and simple. Most of the time it's quite boring in fact. Because you're just maintaining the boat or preparing food or navigating or standing on the helm. Because um, obviously you choose to sail with the good weather. Mm-hmm. And when the weather's good, the sails are off, you just set course. And with the trade winds, you might be on the same heading for a week at a time, um, just taking it in, you know. So the, the drama only really comes when you arrive into port or if, if you're kind of surprised by weather that you weren't expecting. On the flip side of all the action is actually a lot of time to be very meditative um, and very present in the moment. Yeah. Yes. I, w- I was just going to say that, but your, your description of it sounds like meditation, mm. you know, sort of cutting everything out to, Definitely. to really sort of focus in on the important things. Yeah, and as the ship is obviously sailing 24 hours, sometimes people say, oh, what do you do at night? <laughs> well, you keep sailing. <laughs> it's not like everyone just goes to bed. <laughs> so half the crew will always be on the helm and navigating and sailing the ship. And actually at night, in the middle of the ocean is often the most magical, especially if there's phosphorescence or like, you know, sometimes like one night there were sort of dinner plate size glowing explosions underwater. Yeah, I guess a lot of deep sea creatures come up to the surface at night. And so you'd have these like little fireworks under the water and then a huge like swathe of stars, like a stripe, like a whale or something, just zigzagging under the boat. And, um, and yeah, if it's calm enough, you get the stars reflection in the water and the yes. night sky is just amazing. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, there's little moments like that, which can sometimes be few and far between, but kind of just make everything else worth it. <laughs> oh, that sounds yeah. glorious. Yes, you should come. I would love to. Do you know what? <laughs> that would be absolute dream. <laughs> yeah, well, we want to make want to make it available to more people. That's the point. Get everyone addicted. Yeah, is that is that really a thing? Is that mm. is that a thing I could do? We're growing as an industry, so there's there are opportunities already to go and join the ships, um, mm-hmm. and we need more sailors and more ships to operate. So over time, hopefully, there'll be will be more and more of a thing. Yeah. 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 Great. Do I need to? <laughs> I mean, I've got narrowboat skills, probably not that, that transferable. Oh, no. The main thing is just to be willing and able and, yeah. um, and to follow instructions. Most captains prefer it that way. <laughs> just <laughs> do what you're told. <laughs> and, um, yeah, because, yeah, it's, that's the main thing, and being up for it. All right. Well, sign yeah. me up. Yeah. I'm in. I mean, okay. we should probably say, I mean, we've you've described – some of the the sort of the the beautiful moments. Mm. Uh, I imagine a lot of people think of sailing as you know rough seas and rain and yes, you uh, can't. Yeah, maybe some miserable bits. Yeah, you definitely got to take the good with the bad, and um, don't have an option to opt out when the weather's bad. <laughs> and actually, <laughs> that's when everyone, where you know, the quality of the teamwork is most important. Because um, 
yeah, when the weather's bad, everyone has to fall in line and work together well in order to protect themselves and the ship. Um, mm-hmm. And that can be quite hair-raising, but also really thrilling. Like, actually, a lot of that's kind of when the fun stuff happens. <laughs> so find yourself halfway up a mast with your leg wrapped around, trying to grapple with the sail that's flapping feverishly, <laughs> wondering about <laughs> your life choices. <laughs> I'd say that's that's the moment you realise you've you're living. Yeah, exactly, definitely. <laughs> and actually, I mean, the worst bits really are probably just the dull, uncomfortable things, you know, like not having. I don't know, just being in a sweaty bath with other people snoring for <laughs> days or like <laughs> it's more the psychological dramas which which can make it horrendous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay, well, I mean let's sort of continue the story, I guess. You yeah. you did did your you were a cook and then yes. So, so do you just do? Is eight months a there and back trip? I don't, I don't know time. Yes, miles. yeah, uh, yes. I mean, the crossing, the Atlantic crossing itself is maybe three weeks long, um, but mm-hmm. we stop along the way, um, following the trade winds. Um, the ships often stop in the Canaries um, before they head across, and then uh, arrive in Barbados, and then make their way through the islands to Colombia or Mexico, and then make their way back out. And calling into the Azores before arriving in England. Into where, sorry? Uh, the Azores. Uh, the Azores are Portuguese islands, slap bang in the middle of the Atlantic. Very handy. Okay. Right right yeah. where the ships pass, <laughs> where, the, where the wind takes them. So it's very, it's a, yeah, it's a really popular pit stop for sailing, sailing vessels. Sounds like the, like the original truck stop. Exactly. And that's where they have the, all the in- telegram cables crossed over in the okay. So they have uh, with the, all the early phone lines were there as well. So it used to have a big like a switchboard centre. Um, and it was a big whaling station as well before then. Okay. Yeah. And so, so what... what when you got what was it you got back and then did you start mm. uh new dawn traders then or was that how did it come about yes new dawn traders actually kind of started a bit beforehand okay my the true origin story is um goes back to a farm in brazil in bahia that grows cocoa beans and um after leaving university i went to spend time on that farm and really fell in love with it and the people who were living there and running the project there and the dream was always to ship those cocoa beans back to England by sailboat so that was the sort of the beginning the seed of this idea because as soon as we talked about it I felt that I wanted to do that bit (laughs) (laughs) and also and wanting to travel the world without flying um it just tied in having a home that traveled with you it's tied in so many of those like ambitions mm-hmm. and dreams you know turning up somewhere as an equal rather than just having real relationships with people not as a tourist that was a sort of dream and then I went came back to England with it found that there's on there with them and then afterwards I um, just started experimenting with how to buy and sell products using the same chips mm-hmm. so that was sort of the last five years or more has really just been about actually how do we make a business out of this, you know? 
without compromising on our values. Mm -hmm. And I've been able to work with several ships within the the Sincericola community to experiment with ideas on how to build a market for sale for other products. Because that's a trouble. There's plenty of ships that want to sail and there's plenty of producers who want to put their products on our ships, but um, we need a supportive community of buyers, like people who want to know what it's about and value it, because it's obviously much more, well, the whole economy is rigged, but it's much (laughs) more expensive to (laughs) put things on a sailing ship than through the default so burning diesel and, and yeah. yeah is quicker, more efficient, cheaper. Yeah, it's just cheaper. Yeah, in financial terms, mm-hmm. but obviously not in any other term. Yeah, <laughs> no way of thinking about it. Um, but yes, so I've been really inspired by CSA, the Community Supported Agriculture, and a lot of the um, a lot of the. Sort of grassroots projects happening within the food system, within food systems. So um, the Land Workers Alliance is a good example as well. And for me, I guess personally, the cargo is almost the biggest story because farmers are they are intimately involved in the land and looking after the land and healing the land. And the land is what needs the healing if we're going to survive. <laughs> so finding ways of supporting those small producers is really, I guess, at the heart of what I want to do and as important as then putting that onto saving chips. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, little did I know that I'd be spending the last 10 years just kind of pulling apart how the economy works. And, you know, as you find one wrong, it's a bit like fixing a boat. <laughs> you find one rotten plank and pull it out and then see 10 more behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, understanding the global economy is about the same. <laughs> you sort of see one problem and then realize it's built on 10 yeah. deeper problems. Um, yeah, and so I wanted to, with the Voyage Probe, like find, build a, a sort of a trading system that was zero compromise or as or yeah as good as possible mm-hmm. um, supporting small producers working with sailing ships and building it from the grassroots up so yeah after the ship sailing on a ship i've basically just been learning about buying and selling stuff <laughs> and trying to build a model that fits yeah so you said you did this after university was this did you study something mm. related to this or is it <laughs> I studied fashion textile design. Right. Yeah, I did a four-year degree in fashion and um, before that, a year in art foundation. And I should have done architecture or sculpture, really. But fashion Sounds like is you should have done economics. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the heart of economics, of what drives the machine is fashion. It's trends, you know. Mm-hmm. It's this um, the way... You market ideas, what's fashionable, like that's what makes everyone want to keep buying new things because we're, um, you know, it's that marketing that inspires us to think we need all these new things or different things. So fashion is an incredible window into how consumption, what drives consumerism, basically. And studying it was really fascinating. Like I thought I'd be, you know, I went into it thinking I'd be, 
making body sculpture like Alexander McQueen, but actually at the university they're training you for industry. So you are learning a lot about business and how to drive change and get and novelty, you know, how to like churn out novelty. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of probably was part of what radicalized me. I left that <laughs> straight to go to onto the ships. And I was reading Naomi Klein's Shock Doctrine at the time. Yeah, because that's like 2007 or whatever. And it's, oh, yeah. And just being like, I want to get as far away from consumerism as possible. <laughs> <laughs> and actually now I'm sort of cycling back around to it because obviously we can't disentangle ourselves from consumption, you know. We can't live outside of this world or like even if we try and, be completely self-sustained on a farm in the middle of nowhere will never not be affected or affecting the economy at large, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of what inspires why I want to work the way I do. So how do you find your, your uh, growers, your producers? Um, and what, mm. what is sort of the, I mean, do you have like a, a criteria, I guess, for what makes a, a suitable... Yeah, I guess, I mean, we over time we might formalise it a bit more. At the moment, it's quite sort of serendipitous, sort of have an intention of, like I had an intention of finding an olive oil producer in Portugal and actually through Facebook found this incredible woman who then has connected me to other producers that she really respects and admires. And um, the criteria really is, is just a deep passion for what they do and to do it in a way that's healthy for the planet and for their community. Mm -hmm. um, and actually most farmers are that, <laughs> um, especially organic small-scale farmers who really know their land. Um, it's quite common within, yeah. So actually once you find a couple, um, the network works quite quickly. Yeah. Um, a lot of the farmers, well, it's a mix, actually. The olive oil is a good example. We have some uh, farmers who have really tiny lots and a real mix of really ancient trees and others that have much, that have grouped together all the plots that belong to their family and then made, this. they have more trees, but they still actually divide them into the little fields. Um, and then there's different economies of scale. So the smaller producers, farmers, can't really afford to get their organic certification and to go down that route, which would give them access to more wealthy markets like the bigger farmers have. So it's kind of a, a good opportunity for us because we can handle, logistically, we can handle small amounts. And, it, yeah, it's an opportunity for both small producers to group together. Mm -hmm. So now the olive oil, which is great, and really great is that they are all helping each other out so they are helping each other with um getting their olives to press to work on their marketing and design work to collaborate on buying packaging um whereas before they would all just be sort of working very much on their own mm -hmm. the projects helped to bring them together um which is a bit of a side effect i wasn't expecting that to happen yeah they just have really strong values around the care they put into what they do. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. We'll be back after a quick break. Hey there, I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat Show. 
That's right, and I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with old friends? Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at The Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Nice. And yeah. how, how, I mean, are you, are you buying sort of volumes off them which are, are particularly significant for them? Is it, is it sort of the main part of their... Yeah, I, what's, what's interesting last year when COVID struck for the first time um, was that a lot of these small producers who might have been selling to local businesses and restaurants and hotels and tourists just lost their business overnight mm. when we were able to keep trading. And because we already had a sort of direct-to-customer market on this side, and we didn't lose our customers here. So we have become very important, like an important buyer for those, those producers. Yeah, we, we, we've seen them through the last year, basically, which is great. Um, it was good to know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. Um, and so how does it work then? Um, so if I wanted to buy some olive oil, uh, you know, what's, what's the process? So if you wanted to buy olive oil, we collect pre-orders ahead of the ship's arrival. So at the moment, um, you can order online and then um, even come and pick it up from the ship. Yeah, that's, that's sort of how it works. There's port enterprises, um, which are some projects who collect the um, who we deliver to, mm-hmm. in, sort of dotted around the voyage route of the ship <laughs> and then they collect local orders you can either order you can see if there's a port ally near you and order from them um, and then yeah pick it up from the ship we offer national delivery as well so uh, to get people excited about it further in the field yeah. away from the way the ship comes in uh, but eventually hopefully there'll be ships delivering to all the little ports and harbours around the UK yeah yeah. Is it um it seems like a bit of a, a change in people's buying habits to ordering ahead, you know, looking at or for I guess scheduling it for, for when a, a ship's coming in. It's a bit of a Yes, it's it's absolutely counter not counterintuitive, but sort of the opposite of how <laughs> how someone might be marketing a t shirt or a pair of jeans or whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um or like Tesco's, it's definitely not next day delivery. It's um, quite the opposite, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's kind of what we need. Like the ships, everything, everyone I work with are limited to the seasons in how they operate. Like the farmers can only work within the seasons. Mm-hmm. The ships can only sail within the seasons. And, um, and so in a way that international cargo has a season as well. And the buyers, we want our customers to come back into line with that. You know? yeah. So the, the, I guess the crux of the model is that through pre-ordering, we can financially secure the voyage and we can make sure that we pay the producers up front, we pay the ship on delivery, 
we don't risk a lot of money on storage and warehousing and onward distribution, um, especially with food because it goes off over time. So it's and also for the port enterprises, it can be a big investment to buy cargo that isn't sold, pre-sold. Mm. Um, so it just means that pre-ordering, we can pass all those savings on to the buyer and therefore make our products affordable. Um, yeah, at the moment, well, the olive oil on pre-order is between 40 to 50 pounds for five litres. So that's under 10 pounds a litre, which is competitive with your organic supermarket oil. Yeah. It tastes about a thousand times better. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth the wait. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's why we designed the five litre boxes as well, because that a five litre value box will last you six months or till the ship comes again. Yeah. And um, even though there's a bit of plastic in the box, the bag, because there's no oxidization, keeps the quality of the oil mm-hmm. um, really well until the last drop. Okay. That's the compromise. Plus, they travel well. Yeah. Um, we do so much hand maneuvering of boxes. <laughs> <laughs> you always plan to only lift them once, but in reality, mm-hmm. <laughs> they probably get moved around a couple of times. And, yeah, it's just a handy unit for loading and unloading the ship. And, yeah, it's actually unpicking everything that we've designed to make systems efficient we're kind of unpicking and having to rethink yeah in terms of seasons and the planet and what and what we actually need and that's quite fascinating but yeah it's it's an education because i think customers often find it it's not very obvious how to get involved because mm-hmm. it isn't just like a easy click and deliver system yeah um, the open food network we use uh, we work with as a platform for organizing our shipments and for collecting all this. And they've been like an incredible, yeah, that they, yeah, when I found them, it's just like a light bulb moment. Okay. Um, what do they do exactly? Yeah, so Open Food Network is just an online sales platform for food businesses. And it's mainly focused on local, to help local um, farms or farm shops or food boxes. Um, collect orders for local deliveries but it works really well for us as, as uh, for our sail cargo voyages um, and they are open source it began with some sort of awesome tech women in Australia and now it's international and then there's there's the, how they've structured their business is very um, cool you know they have local chapters and they yeah, it's, and it's cheap, basically. Mm-hmm. It means that, because with food businesses, the margins aren't very big anyway, and it, they they just help small businesses set up and get going, and their pricing is really fair. So they give that tech support, which is often a real barrier to trading, because, you know, most farmers don't spend their time <laughs> thinking about how to set up a WooCommerce well yeah exactly wordpress site (laughs) (laughs) and the ins and outs and (laughs) yeah dangers and pitfalls of doing that (laughs) um yeah so they just it's amazing how well we live in an age where we can choose to the combination of modern technology and traditional technology and and the innovation is how to mix those two things up in innovative ways Mm -hmm. um which is new 
you know, because they yeah. couldn't have used Open Food Network 200 years ago. Yeah, and that's what's also exciting. Um, I think we're going to reach peak, um, <laughs> peak like mad indulgence in new technology or just falling for anything that we're fed. Mm-hmm. And eventually we'll come to a point where actually we'll pick and choose what combinations of digital high-tech solutions we want compared to actual just simple straightforward buttons <laughs> and levers <laughs> and a bit of human work <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's like it's like on the ship as a good example as well we have the best navigation equipment which gives us really good weather forecasting for the next five days and long forecast and obviously a sense of where we are and what you know and all of that um that all the sail handling is manual. Mm-hmm. So there's no like electric winches or fancy equipment. And actually the benefit of that is building teamwork and exercise and the joy of, like it's actually a really joyful thing doing the sail handling. Taking yeah, that away from the sailors is such a shame. <laughs> 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 okay. Might as well just have autopilot. And um, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, other values of hard work you know that we've kind of forgotten maybe but <laughs> obviously getting the right combo means the best of both worlds yeah i yeah. uh i just watched uh rose george's uh yes. talk yes it's linked from your website um and she mm. was saying on those giant cargo ships so there's only a crew of about seven people or something in that it's yeah. all been automated and you know it's just a few people left who work really hard doing uh, quite boring things. And they're sort of shattered and lo- lonely and sad, yeah. Oh, gosh, yeah, it's awful. And they often aren't paid very well or at all. Sometimes they are tracked on the ships and not allowed to leave for months mm-hmm. on end. Like, I think in COVID especially, that was made worse. I mean, in, yeah, it's like, it's modern slavery, really. Mm. And that actually exists across the our supply chains. Um, with factory workers making our clothes, workers on farms being undervalued and underpaid. Yeah, it's um, it's really awful once you scratch, you know, past the surface of it all. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's great that you're uh, providing a, an alternative, uh, you know, seeing, seeing the badness and, and making it better. The scale is obviously totally different. Yeah. Do you think this is a scalable idea business yes but hand in hand with a lot of other things changing to fit as well mm-hmm. like we can't just swap container ships for sailing vessels i mean they are designing wind technology for container ships and new modern high-tech container ships that will use more um environmentally friendly energy they, they, I saw a thing where they're, they're sort of putting a, a giant kite on, on container ships. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Uh, sun sails, what are they called? Kite sails. They, yeah, they can save maybe 20% of the fuel usage on containers because like the, the air patterns closest to the water are really variable. Mm-hmm. But if you go up like 10, 15 metres, well, probably more, 30 metres or something, it's more consistent and um, and yeah, those those kites harness that energy. Yeah, I mean, there's really cool high tech solutions happening, but really, it's systemic change that is needed. Um, 
we shouldn't be shipping 90% of the stuff that we're shipping in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a lot to unpick around that. So if you consider shipping just that 10%, then it is possible to scale Sail Harbor to cover that. And the Eco Clipper, for example, um, is a project in the Netherlands. And they have on their website, they have a really good breakdown of the numbers of how, how to make that happen. Yeah, Jorna, who's who heads that up, is a is a friend of mine, and he is one of the founders of the Fair Transport Company as well. So um, he's busy designing a a five hundred ton three master top sail schooner that will be like hundred meters long and <laughs> massive compared to the ships we work with at the moment. <laughs> Tiny compared to a container, an average container ship. Yeah, <laughs> but there is we are. There is scale coming, and that's, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, what we're doing is quite small, but it's sort of building, it's getting the ground ready for the the next ships that are coming. Yeah, getting the infrastructure in place. Do you you own your your ships? No, the ship I work with at the moment mainly is called The Gallant, and it's owned by the Blue Schooner Company, which is a French company run by two sea captains. Mm -hmm. Um. Yeah, I've been really lucky to have met them and to be supported by, they just really wanted to work with me, with Noodle Traders, um, which has been a really great way to test the Voyage Co-op model and to grow and to allow that the time to grow. Um, we're actually looking to maybe buy a ship, possibly two at the moment, Ooh. for more coastal local deliveries. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really exciting. But the ships we're looking at are wooden ships and will need a lot of care and maintenance, which is really costly thing to do in England. <laughs> um, so we're just trying to see if we can make the figures work. Um, yeah, I'd love to run our own ship one day. It would give us the freedom to do more exchanges and um, what I'd really love to do is to build travel exchanges with our producers in Portugal, for example, mm. so that people can sail down, spend the winter there, do the olive harvest, um, and sail back in the spring with the oil. Yeah, it'd be great to get more of the cultural stuff happening around the ships, have a little bit more time in the ports, do more events. <laughs> Must be the festival background. <laughs> but it's those um, crossover moments which are so great you know when sailors get time to spend with people in the local community when when we get to visit the producers and spend time with them like all those human stories actually have a carry i think that's where change happens the most you know (laughs) even if it's quietly in the background it's it's um those experiences that inspire people to live differently Uh yeah so so i'd like to do more of that which we could do with our own ships one day. Oh, yeah, exciting. Yeah. I, I assume you're uh, are people making new ships. I, I just assume you're buying mm. a, a sort of old ship, but maybe that's that's a bad assumption. Yeah, the ships we're looking at are really old, but um, a friend has designed a new design for a new wooden sail cargo vessel, a schooner. Um, that would be about 70 foot, I guess. Uh, so it'd be great to build one of these boats. Mm. Um, he's actually is Venezuela, and he's out in Costa Rica at the moment working on the Siva. It's a ship they're building in 
Yes, yes. It's um, what's their website? So Cargo Inc. Um, they are building also a massive remastered top sail schooner in the jungle in Costa Rica, all out of wood, um, which they are getting from sort of uh, storm fallen trees out of the rainforest. They've got a big uh, reforesting program, reforestation program running as well. Um, yeah, they've got all the ribs in, getting some of the cross beams in. Yeah, making really fast progress on that. <laughs> so, yeah, there's new boats being built. The Eco Clipper will be a new boat, mm-hmm. and that will be a steel hull, but also engineless. Um, well, engineless. And yeah, and there's a lot of existing boats that need, need work, need mm-hmm. a new, new mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was just um, talking online with Faye Thorley. Oh, yes. Uh, yes. Yes. And I've, I started to look at some of the, the projects she was doing with uh, bringing sail cargo back to the Thames. Yeah, they were restoring a Thames sailing barge called Raybell mm. and, um, and want to yeah open up trading routes on the Thames estuary and on the East Coast. Um, yeah, we already delivered to them cargo from Portugal. And this year we'll sail into Ramsgate at the end of July, I think. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be working with local Thames barges to bring cargo from Ramsgate to London. Brilliant. Um, it's the first time we're actually doing a... Well, no, we did it, they did it last year in a small way. But I think this year it will be more substantial. And um, some local businesses will also be putting cargo on the ships. Yeah, yeah. very exciting. Nice. It's, it seems yeah. like there's quite a good um, community of... of uh, sale traders is, is that the right term yes i guess so <laughs> um yeah port enterprises is quite port a long work and actually doesn't account for people who are further inland but um yeah there's it's slowly but surely more people are getting involved which is really great yeah with the business model we try and make it really accessible so that anyone who's interested and passionate and up for taking part can get involved, mm-hmm. even in a small way. Um, the most valuable help is really to sell produce and to build markets for the produce. Um, and it's and it is kind of a tough job as well because there's so much noise out there <laughs> where mm-hmm. everyone else is trying to sell their stuff. Um, so it's good to see more brokers getting involved or people interested in becoming brokers. Um, but I think there's more appetite now as well. People are, especially after lockdown, I think people are hopefully, well, becoming more aware of where their food comes from and how it's made and, and also wanting to enjoy their food. It's one of the simple pleasures that's still available to us at least, mm-hmm. <laughs> being able to cook a good meal or to spend a bit more on something that tastes amazing just for that pleasure. Yeah, a sort of deep deeper pleasure of you know knowing that people along the the chain are all happy and looked mm. after and sort of nourishment at a deeper level yeah and then we grew much more alike than we are different exactly yeah <laughs> you know and that's um it's really amazing to know like if you come to a ship and pick up your olive oil the sailor you speak to will have met the producer on the other side and um yeah it's it sort of humanizes the system again which is cool and important yeah um i wanted to ask about um sort of shipping i guess i mean i see a, this 
the the what well, what sort of drew me into to this was the uh, the sort of climate f- uh, focus. I, I assume you know yeah. sail ships are. Would you call them zero emission or you know very very um, low? Very low. Working towards zero emission. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously, when you're under sail, you're not burning any fossil fuel. Um, if you do a whole life cycle analysis of a ship and, I mean, how deeply you go into the voyage, you know, like there's, you always, someone will always find some fuel. <laughs> <laughs> so very, don't dare say zero emission without <laughs> setting yourself up for failure. Yeah. But it's definitely cuts out for most of it, you know. And shipping has a significant impact. Like shipping globally emits 4% of the world's carbon. Right. And that's big. Um, and it's set to grow as well. The, our entire economy is built on shipping. Mm. The way trade deals are set up encourages more shipping. So, um, so it's not a problem that's, going to go away it's just going to grow so at least the shipping is now part of the climate agreement because it wasn't Mm. until the most recent meeting so that that's important there are like big shifts happening and i think governments are starting to put money into changing how shipping operates yeah Um, yeah it's been very much out of sight out of mind since they left the container <laughs> and um, and people stopped thinking about it. That was one of the points that, yeah. that Rose George made was that she sort of said it was a an invisible thing. You know, people don't yeah. really don't really imagine that that all their stuff is coming by by sea. And I think probably the yeah. the Suez Canal thing uh, with the the blockage in there mm. has made everyone sort of realise a little bit because I I probably know about. 20 people that are all you know well i'm waiting for this thing because because of that yes. over, you know, halfway around <laughs> i was the world. kind of hoping it would last another week longer <laughs> <laughs> so that it really gave people pause for thought yeah <laughs> um but the full moon the, the what was it it was like a super strong mega spring full moon tide it was right. a mega big tide actually if it wasn't for that if it wasn't for it all happening in that specific month, the ship would have been stuck there for months and months and months. Wow. It was the moon. It just so happened to be a full moon and a super strong tide, which was just enough to leave the ship out of it, to get it unstuck. Crikey. Which is, yeah, which is very um, lucky for them. Well, moon saves global <laughs> <Yeah>. economy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Oh, very forgiving, the planet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, should it be? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I mean, but it was awful. Like there's there's whole container ships just full of live animals, you know. Like how Oof. wrong is that? Yeah. It's just awful. Um, and yeah, we rely literally 90% of everything we use, eat, well, less so food, but like, Everything we see around us has pretty much nine out of ten things will have come in the container ship. 
um, yeah, we're heavily dependent on imports and export within how the economy is structured at the moment. Um, yeah, we need to shift that. I mean, dare I say, a silver lining from Brexit might be that that's sort of enforced unintentionally. <laughs> um, it's, well, in food, that's obviously happened. With all the stuff happening, fishing and shellfish, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, we kind of need to reassess our relationship to stuff, where it comes from, who's made it, how much of that we can actually source locally, and then consider what we can't as scoops that we import or export. I guess as an island, we'll always be depending on. Out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely. Yeah. I've been feeling it recently with with building materials. Uh, yeah, the the prices of building materials are skyrocketing because we can't we can't get any. Mm. Just thinking, you know, these are all things that we could easily manufacture here. Well, yeah. mm. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, an opportunity. Yeah, you've got to see things as opportunities. Otherwise, what then? <laughs> 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 I think psychologically being optimistic is healthier <laughs> yeah <laughs> well so yeah how can um, how can people get buy involved? some olive oil <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so our website is uh, neontraders.com on our voyage co-op page it links to all the port enterprises that are involved so there might be a port enterprise near you that, that it would be wonderful to support. Mm-hmm. And you can see our product brochure, learn a bit more about the shipping industry and what other ships are involved. Um, yeah, on our Instagram, you can sort of, you can follow the voyage as it's happening. We're trying to wean off social media. So we really kind of just use Instagram. Um, but yeah, the main thing is to get your order in and come and see the ship when it comes in. Nice. That's the most exciting thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember when you were in Bristol yeah. uh, sometime last year, there just seemed to be an yeah. excitement and people were, were like, you know, go, well, when are you, when are you going down to get it? And, you know, it was a real yes. buzz. Yeah, yeah, and imagine what Bristol must have been like 100 years ago. Mm. I mean, it's definitely not innocent of many things. Yes. But the enthusiasm or the spectacle of the ship coming in with products, you know, like the arrival of the first banana or oranges from the Azores. Um, yeah, like what we've gained in convenience is sort of lost in excitement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like knowing that you can only have something for a short period of time makes it so much better, tastes better. <laughs> Um, yeah, and a ship is magical. It still retains that magic of of um, being an awesome thing that turns up with nice stuff on it. <laughs> <laughs> and handsome sailors. I'm sure the crew actually have the best time ever. They just get to cruise around. I mean, they work really hard as sailors, obviously, but they always get a hero's welcome whenever, whenever they turn up. I bet. And um, there's normally a song and a dance to be had and a good story. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Nice. Good to see the ship just for seeing the sailors.
Okay, massive thanks to Alex for finding the time to speak. I get the impression she's an incredibly busy person. I am definitely going to try and get myself down to Cornwall uh, to see the ship later in the year. I think that'd be fantastic. And maybe I could just go be a sailor for a bit. Hmm. Anyway, make sure you check out the New Dawn Traders website. There's a link in the show notes. And yeah, get on there and make an order. Support this excellent alternative. Um, Okay, well, thank you so much to you for listening. Uh, Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for leaving iTunes reviews. Thank you for your great emails. And thank you especially to the Patreon supporters. Until next time. Goodbye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.